Hi, I'm Katina Horton, the Love and Freedom Toxic Relationship Recovery Coach, and this is the Valley of Grace podcast, helping women reclaim their power, soul, and identity so they will know they are enough. And the title of today's episode is The Hoover Addiction Cycle Part 2. And one thing that comes to mind when it comes to the Hoover, a lot of women end up getting Hoovered because of the fact that they are hurting, they're in a lot of pain, they've learned a lot, and they figure they can take that learning and transfer it over to sharing it with the narcissist and everything is going to be all good, status quo, copacetic, so to speak, but it's not. So I want you to listen in and uh, glean from this message. And then before we do, I just want to give a shout out to Timothy Horton for bringing our intro and music, uh, intro and outro music that is every single week. Be blessed. He made a valley of grace where things would change. And maybe they take up the cross high again. And before I get into the message, I just want to remind you that we wear ties so we can make an impact. That means we're analyzing, troubleshooting, implementing, right? Empowering and impacting the women in our homes, our communities, and millions of women all around the world. And then one of the simple ways that we can do that is by sharing biblical truths, right? That deal with healing and wholeness. So if you can hit the like button, if you can share this message and you know, like if it's anything that's being said, that's of value to you, that's in this message, I would love for you to share it. So we're going to get right into part two of the Hoover addiction cycle, right? So a lot of times women get hoovered because they've learned about narcissism from doing their research on Google, right? And this learning might've taken place right before they left the narcissistic abuse, abuse cycle, right? A lot of it is usually once they come out, they'll either, either um, have a friend that might say something to them that all of a sudden makes that light bulb go off, so to speak, or uh, could be a pastor. They could hear a sermon, be listening to a podcast, read a book, or just searching different terms on their own to try to come to terms with like, man, what just happened? What was that I was in? You know, what is going on? So anyway, they're doing this research, right? And then they find out, wow, this individual had a spirit of narcissism, <laughs> you know, running straight, rampant straight through them, right? And so what happens is that this come to Jesus moment slash revelation usually happens after having a be still and no moment, right? And distance, as we talked about before, distance and having space leads to this moment, right? And then all of a sudden it's like, oh, wow, now I know what to do. Okay, so I'm going to tell him this. I'm going to tell him that I figured out what he has, that he's a narcissist. And then I'm going to tell him about all the different symptoms that he has, that, you know, that he has and how that lines up with what he was doing when I was in a relationship with him. And then I know once I explain all of this, then, you know, 
he's going to be good. He's going to go and, and get himself signed up for a psychiatrist, get on meds, uh, talk to a therapist two to three times a week and have an intensive plan. And it's just going to work out fine and dandy, so to speak. Right. And then what happens is that means you have allowed magical thinking to come in, right? You back on Fantasy Island where all of your dreams come true. If you think you're going to tell uh, your ex-narcissistic partner, you go, go back in a relationship with him, right? And then you're going to tell him that he is a narcissist and that this is why. And you're matching up everything that you looked up, right? For all of the different factors according to his behavior and think that that's going to go well. It's not going to happen, right? And so, like I said, that's one of the main reasons why a lot of times women get hoovered back in, right? And then you're thinking what happens as well is you go back into that six S control cycle of going into solution mode. And when you're in the six S control cycle and you are in solution mode, solution mode stands for I know better than God. So I'm going to sit here and I'm going to come up with some magical formula uh, or equation. And when I come up with it, I'm going to set the stage. And then I, when I set the stage and I'm going to present it to him and he's going to see the light, right? You're thinking all of a sudden he's going to have spiritual eyeglasses on, you know, and he's gone to the eye doctor. They've given him a, a whole spiritual prescription and he's going to be able to see the light. That is not going to happen, right? narcissistic individuals, unfortunately, as we've talked about a gazillion times before, they're spiritually blind. So there's nothing that you or anyone else can do to change their vision, right? And that's work for them. That's self-work for them, for the Holy Spirit and for deliverance, right? And so what it is, is like, you're going to go back and you're just going to get abuse intensified in each of those three phases of the narcissistic abuse cycle, which is what the idealization, and that's when it involves the love bombing. And then you've got the devaluation, right? When you'll be little gaslit, projection, manipulation, triangulation, uh, blame shifting, just the whole nine yards, right? And that one. And then number three is the discard, right? So you've got that whole cycle. Each of those phases are going to be quicker every time you agree to go back. Every time you get hoovered by the spirit of hoovering and you go back, that whole narcissistic abuse cycle is more abusive, is more intense, and it's a quicker cycle each time you go back, right? So only thing you're going to be doing is reinforcing trauma bonds, reinforcing soul ties, right? So that work you've already done, is going to be like that work is going to be ready to be out the door, so to speak, right? And then God, and meanwhile, he's sitting back like, okay. You think you're going to do something? Go right ahead. Since you think you're going to be the Holy Spirit and you can do what I myself cannot do because I won't go against free will, then, hey, have at it. <laughs> Bust yourself out and see what happens, right? And it's like by the time you get to the point of being in that basement again, because the penthouse is what? When they're hoovering you and they're love bombing you in order to hoover you back in, right? You're going to be at the penthouse at that point. But he's like, okay, so once you get back to the basement, let me know. After that, that uh, the rug is pulled from under you. The love bombing is over, right? The rug is pulled from under you and you're going from the penthouse to the basement like that and being dropped, right? So I want to read from Genesis, the 31st chapter and the 25th through the 31st verses. When Laban overtook Jacob, Jacob had pinched his tent 
in the hill country. And Laban and his relatives also pitched their tents in the hill country of Gilead. Laban said to Jacob, what have you done? You've deceived me and taken my daughters away like prisoners of war. Why did you secretly flee from me? Deceive me and not tell me. I would have sent you away with joy and singing with tambourines and lyres, but you didn't even let me kiss my grandchildren and my daughters. You've acted foolishly. I could do you great harm, but last night the God of your father said to me, watch yourself. Don't say anything to Jacob, either good or bad. <laughs> now you've gone off because you long for your father's family, but why have you stolen my gods? Jacob answered, I was afraid for I thought you would take your daughters from force, uh, from me by force rather. Okay, so this is gaslighting is what's going on. Jake, uh, Jacob has been overtaken by Laban, right? Laban is basically doing a Hoover maneuver and trying to get Jacob back. But God <laughs> showed up in a dream and told Laban, like, you better not say anything good or bad to Jacob, right? But what Laban was intending on doing, it was a Hoover move. Because why would he have gone after Jacob if it wasn't, right? It's gaslighting because he said that he made it seem like Jacob was longing for his family so much that that's why he left. That's why he left the way he did. A huge decision maker for Jacob was the fact that, and that's for him going back to his homeland, making that decision. It was a couple of things, right? There was ongoing deception and manipulation from his uncle Laban. And so uh, that was one thing. It was God telling him it was time to go, right? And part of that deception and manipulation is that Laban changed Jacob's wages 10 times. And it's mentioned in the scripture, uh, it's mentioned in the scripture twice. When Jacob mentioned it to uh, his two wives, Leah and Rachel, when he called them out to the field to let them know we're getting ready to leave. And then when uh, Laban started confronting him, Jacob also mentioned about the wages again, like you changed my wages 10 times. So this is what drove him to make that decision. All of the above, God telling him in the dream it's time to go. Uh, Laban not being a trustworthy person and changing his wages 10 times. And then the other thing that was a huge factor in there was the fact that Laban's entire countenance had changed towards Jacob. And we cannot, we talked about this before when I did the messages, I think it was a three-part message on what happens when a person's countenance changes. So when somebody's countenance changes towards you and you keep on acting like everything is like it was before, you better watch out. You're going to end up getting a viper bite, right? Just like the viper snakes and they end up paralyzing and immobilizing their victims because the venom is going in and the organs and the tissue and all of that is being damaged by poison. All of that is going to happen to you on an emotional, mental, and spiritual level, which in turn is going to change over to also a physical level, right? Because the mind, body, soul, and spirit all works together. So like I said, he was uh, gaslighting him, making it seem like he did something wrong. Yes, Jacob should have told Laban, I'm leaving, especially since God it came to him, come to him as a dream and told him it was time for him to leave. Right. So that was his clue that God is with me. He's going to be with me to allow me to get out of it safely. OK, then on the other side of that, 
what often happens is because we've dealt with the person before, right? Even though God has seen us through the whole way. However, because we've dealt with the person before and we've seen their patterns of behavior, which Jacob could not ignore Laban's patterns of behavior, then that's when a lot of times we start thinking all of a sudden we need to get into the driver's seat and deceive the person in order for us to get out of the relationship. And for some women, sadly, that is what you end up having to do in order to break free from a narcissistic relationship. They're going to work. You've got all your stuff packed up and you have to leave for fear of being killed, right? In some situations, uh, that works out very, very well. In other situations, the Lord would have wanted us to do something different. However, when it gets in your head that the only way that I can be um, free, so to speak, is to deceive, then that's when we, you know, we got a problem there. And like I said, some situations, the Lord will guide you into saying like, this is the only way you're going to be able to get out. This person going to find out later. This is the only way you're going to be able to save your life, right? But I believe that Jacob would have uh, had the approval, some type of way God would have stepped in because you see what happened when Laban went after Jacob, God stepped in. It's like, mm -mm, you better not say anything to Jacob. It better not be anything good or bad. You better not say a word, a mumbling word. So God would have intervened some kind of way since he told Jacob it's time to go. So that means he was going to bring the provision. But what happens is that uh, Laban was gaslighting here because he was making it seem like Jacob, uh, like Jacob was doing something really wrong. Yes, Jacob didn't tell him he was leaving. However, everything that Jacob had actually belonged to him, right? Because he'd worked for, he'd worked for uh, Leah seven years, then had to work another seven years for Rachel. And then he ended up working six years for all of those flocks. So what Laban was saying was like, I said, it was gas, like making it seem like, oh, you just like a a mama's boy or daddy's boy. You just want your family. That's why you leave it. No, I'm leaving because you are a deceiver times the unting power worse than I am. I was myself. That's why I'm leaving, right? Because you own some mess. That's why I'm getting up out of here, right? But Laban tried to make it seem like it was something different. And Jacob knew he'd already witnessed all those 20 years that he was with Laban. He witnessed his behavior and he knew his patterns of behavior, right? So that's another thing. Like I, I got to get out of here. He knew that Laban did. Laban just did what he made bad business deals, right? And this goes all the way back to when Abraham's servant went to get a wife for Isaac, right? And uh, what happened is Laban agreed to the oath of allowing Rebecca to go with Abraham's servant back to their homeland, back to their land, not homeland, but back to their land right? So that Rebecca could marry Isaac. However, after they'd eaten and drank and all of that stuff, and uh, first they made the agreement, then Abraham's servant showered Laban with an, an, uh, the family, as well as Rebecca with all of these gifts and wealth and all these material possessions, right? Then Laban like laid it on thick and love bombed with the food and the drinks and all this kind of stuff, right? They had that party. But then what ended up happening? <laughs> what ended up happening is that morning after, that's when it was like, psych, she ain't going nowhere. Let's wait 10 days. That avoiding attachment, right? That style kicked in and gave him something different. Well, not for, I'm sorry. That happened when it was, uh, yeah, when it was Abraham's servant. But then it also happened again when it came time for Jacob 
to Mary, Leah, and Rachel. It happened later, the same thing. Laban had that same pattern. You see what I'm saying? So it's like, I get the, the goods. I make the oath, right? Then I get the goods of either uh, jewelry, uh, money, possess, you know, material possessions, land, whatever, right? I get all of that. Then I love bomb with this party and whatnot, right? And then after the love bombing with the party, the eating and drinking the morning after, Jacob found out that he had Leah in his tent instead of Rachel. So that was Laban's MO. He just was a bad business deal man. That was part of his narcissism, right? Because the night before, of course, that's when the void attachment style would kick in. And then that next morning is when the individual who made the oath slash covenant with him, that's when they found out he did not honor up to his side of the deal. See what I'm saying? And that's when they, the devaluation started the next morning. That night, they didn't know, but he had actually, really, he set it in motion the night before. The love bombing was the party and all of that. But at that night, he already knew what he was going to do that next morning. It was like a sight. This is what you got. But they didn't know, right? That was part of it. He had love bombed them so quick. <laughs> and uh, after he got them goods and he love bombed them so quick. And uh, like I said, the next morning, like they always had a, that uh, figure of speech the morning after. The morning after is when they find out you ain't getting what I told you, right? But what happened was that when it came to Abraham's servant, he had the upper hand. Even though he was in a place of vulnerability of finding a wife for Isaac, he had the upper hand because Abraham had had him to take his hand, put it under his thigh, and to, to make an oath and swear that he was going to find a wife for Isaac from one of his kinfolk, right? And then if not, still don't let Isaac go back there because God had already promised, you know, he had already brought them out and he already had promised them that land, you know, over in Canaan and whatnot, right? And so what happens is that even though uh, Abraham's servant's vulnerability was that he needed a wife, Abraham had already said if she, wanted, if she was unwilling to go, then hey, there's nothing you can do about it. You know, the oath is broken. So Laban could only go so far with him. So after he had said, okay, no, she can't go. Rebecca can't the next morning, just wait 10 days. And then the servant was like, no, nah, I need to be getting back to my master. So Laban already knew either I go ahead and agree at that point. Then he's again, avoidance attachment style kicking. He make it seem like he's going to go with it. Then let's ask her. You see what I'm saying? It's like, I'm not going to give you what you want. or I'm going to give you something different. One of the two, when it comes to that avoidance attachment style, right? So what happens too, though, when you look at this family, when you look at Abraham, you look at Isaac, you look at Jacob, right? You see how God's covenant of all of these blessings and everything he promised them. You see how it runs straight through that line. And I say that because even when Abraham's servants set out to go and get the wife for Isaac, he took 10 camels, okay? And then he gave her a nose ring and then he gave Rebecca two bracelets that weigh 10 shekels of gold. The number 10 is when there's like a completion, but it's got God's stamp of authority and approval on a situation, right? And then I want you to think about it too, is that when that avoidant attachment style kicked in and Laban and Rebecca's mom say, oh, well, wait, maybe wait 10 days. Even with that number, they could have said any number. They could have said, wait five days, wait three days, wait four days. You see what I'm saying? So this was obvious. This was a situation of showing that God's covenant, his blessings and authority was on 
their family name by that number 10 being mentioned so many times. And what else, right? Laban changed Jacob's wages 10 times. And it was at that 10th time, after it had been changed 10 times, that's when Jacob said, I'm peacing out. He also got uh, the Lord's approval, right? And even before that, he had tried to leave. You see what I'm saying? He had tried to leave uh, before that. And so what happened is that when we uh, get into the point where we are being hoovered and they start mentioning a lot of stuff that uh, sounds good to us and maybe that they had not done before, then it's like, hmm, but maybe he have changed and he's starting to use new words. He went to a therapist specifically just to have some words to use for your pastor and or for you. You know, I've self-actualized and, you know, I'm evolving and uh, I'm going through this whole self-discovery process and I'm doing all my self-work. And I know that uh, what I've been going through in my childhood was abandonment and I've got a, a spirit of abandonment and rejection in me. They will say anything to pull you back in. I mean, anything to pull you back in. And then what happens too is that uh, when God has made it clear for us to go and you decide, you know, for us to go and then to stay out of it, and then you go back inside, then what do you have to deal with again? You got that hardness of heart. You've got that spiritual blindness, right? And you've got the arrogance and you've got the avoiding attachment style to deal with once again. And this is for all narcissists. They all have all of this to the umpteenth power, right? And then along with that, you've got that unteachableness. And then don't let it be a cerebral narcissist. Any kind of cerebral narcissist is going to really be unteachable to like another unteenth power within the norm, right? Because they know everything, right? You can't, you can't tell them a thing until you happen to, uh, they go through something and then you happen to mention, oh yeah, that happened to me when I went through it. Why didn't you tell me? To me, why didn't I tell you? <laughs> you unteachable. Everything I tell you, you 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 know you got a better solution for it. The, the therapists are wrong. The psychologists are wrong. The psychiatrists are wrong. Uh, any type of physician, the gynecologist, the oncologist, whoever it is I'm mentioning, you know more than them. So why would I tell you about what it is I went through and think maybe possibly you could learn from it when you've already like devalued what I've said and then used passive aggressive means to do it? See what I'm saying? So it don't make any sense. And so with these narcissistic individuals, what happens is that they become a slave uh, to the demon of the narcissist themselves. Right. And we know that Satan was the very first narcissist. Right. And so for us to think that and even with Jacob, you're dealing with a narcissistic individual. Right. Jacob already knew how he was himself. So to think that someone that's a narcissist is going to go and to honor their word. We really, <laughs> we got to be smoking something, literally, to think that they are going to go and honor their word. And the only way it's going to happen is uh, it could be a situation where it's something that's in it for them. If they decide to go ahead and do it, or they're using that for supply, which that still means it's something in it for them, right? They want to say, oh, look how I helped so-and-so, instead of just keeping it quiet. And as the scriptures say, not letting the left hand know what the right hand is doing, right? And so Laban was one that did not honor his agreements, right? And that's why uh, Jacob knew that this is going to be tricky leaving out of here. And for some reason, he didn't think about the fact, okay, if God told me 
it's time for me to go. He's also going to make provision. He just figured it was something that he had to do, right? In order to make that happen, right? And so what was, once again, what was Laban's, uh, what was his MO? His MO was to do what? Make the oath slash contract slash agreement. Number two, get the bag. And what was the bag? The bag was money, jewelry, possessions, wealth, and success and power through getting a person's services, right? Like he did with Jacob. Then after all of that, he love bombed with the party, right? He, he pump them up with a party and dancing. And, and you know how it is with parties. You got the dancing and the celebrations and the instruments and music and eating and drinking, right? All of that. Then number four, the devaluation stage for you starts the next morning. You don't know he started at the end, the very end of that night, he knew what he was going to do. The next morning is when a devaluation set in for you. When he says, psych, I'm not honoring that, but I'll give you option B. Open that door and see what's behind it, right? And that means that he's not going to honor his agreement, right? So then number five, his fifth thing in his whole little thing he's got going on is, I love bomb you with another business deal like he did with Jacob. And then Jacob was so caught up. He knew Jacob was vulnerable. He didn't have anywhere to live. Uh, he was on a run because of uh, his brother being after him to kill him. At the same time, he wanted a wife and he, he loved him. Some Rachel broke out crying when he saw her, all of that. So Laban knew he had the upper hand in that situation. He could, he was able to do to, to just take it that far because of the fact that Jacob was really in a vulnerable uh, state of vulnerability, whereas Abraham's servant was not because Abraham already has said, if it don't work out, she's not willing, you know, just come on back. The oath is broken. Jacob had a hot mess, right? You can't trust people like that, right? You can't trust people like that. Jacob had gotten sick of that mess and he was just like, I'm out of here. But every time they've been, oh, I got another deal for you. I got another deal. And that's what narcissistic people do. As soon as you say, I'm out of this relationship, I got another deal for you. I'll get you that vacation home, baby. We'll have two. We'll make two, three more babies together, baby. So I'm saying I'll get you that that Lexus you've been wanting. You see what I'm saying? I get you that Bentley, that BMW. Oh, I got another deal. As soon as you get ready to leave out the door, I got another deal. I'll give you a separate bank account. You get thirty thousand dollars placed in your bank account. Then you get ready. To, I got another deal. Every time they got another deal for you to keep you from leaving out that door, right? And so what happens is when that discard happens, like I said, it's usually after everything that got so ramped up, like with the uh, children of Israel, that he has no other choice but to become enslaved to that spirit and that spirit of narcissism making him discard you. He can't even control it. Right. And so the same thing happens. Like what happens is when I'm going to read in scripture, because I want to explain something really quick. So. After Laban had mentioned this to Jacob, right, about making gaslighting him and making it seem like uh, he'd done something wrong by wanting to go back to his homeland with his family and everything he'd worked for, this is the conversation. Let me see. I want to start at 39. I did not bring you any of the flock torn by wild beasts. This is Jacob speaking. I myself bore the loss. You demanded payment from me what was stolen by day or by night. There I was, the heat consumed me by day and the frost by night and the sleep uh, fled from my eyes. And for 20 years in your household, I served you 14 years for your two daughters, six years for your flock. And you've changed my way just 10 times. I go to number 10 again, right? If the God of my father, the God of Abraham, the fear of Isaac had not been with me, certainly now you would have sent me off empty handed 
but God has seen my affliction and my hard work and he's issued his verdict last night. Then Laban answered Jacob, the daughters of my daughters, the sons of my sons, the flocks, my flocks, everything you see is mad, but what can I do today for these daughters of mine or the children, for the children they born? Come now, let's make a covenant, you and I. Let it be a witness between the two of us. <laughs> so what tripped me out is that Jacob said all that expressed himself and Laban didn't care a hill of beans about what Jacob was saying, how all these hardships he had, you know, it's just like, yeah, I used you. <laughs> In other words, he didn't say that, but he might as well. He just like, whatever, just let Jacob go on and on. And uh, as he expressed himself and about the mistreatment he had, but it also shows in like what Jacob, Jacob realized he had to come to Jesus moment. God has redeemed back all of this stuff, like all that stuff you did to me. It just so happened. These sheep came out dark and spotted and speckled. So now I got all of this wealth to take with me. See what I'm saying? Like I ain't going back empty handed, but if it had been for you and God hadn't stepped in, I would have. And that's the only reason why Laban had agreed to that in the first place with Jacob was because he figured there's no way in the world he's going to have that much to take back. So I'm going to go ahead and agree to this, right? He didn't think it was going to become anything other, but we all know once God gets involved in something, you better watch out. And then when Laban was saying, my daughters, my flocks, my sons, all of this, and for these daughters of mine and all of that, when he was saying all of that, that's just like when you go to court with your narcissistic partner, and then the judge makes an agreement, okay, this, this, and this is hers, this, this, and this is yours. And then after you've made that agreement, of course, there's a court agreement, no matter what it is you brought together, once the judge decides, whatever goes to whoever, that's it. So then what you often hear is, yeah, you got my couch. Those are my pots and my bowls and my dishes. Yeah, I see you got you got uh my furniture. Yeah, you got my TV. And it's like, no, <laughs> this is an agreement. <laughs> this is what it is. And this is what happened with Laban. Yeah, my daughters and my flocks. As if he made it seem like, I mean, it was just so much gaslighting. It was ridiculous. He made it seem like, Jacob has stolen his daughters. He's stolen his grandchildren. He's stolen the flock. All of that stuff he'd worked for for 20 years, right? But you see what what happened when a narcissist would get done talking to you, you will start thinking that you've actually done something wrong, right? And so then he said, come now, let's make a covenant, you and I, with all of that kind of talk. That's what narcissistic people will do too, unfortunately. They start all sweet. Well, you know what? Let's sit here and let's have a prayer together. <laughs> To make it seem like they haven't done anything wrong, right? And so then it says, Jacob picked up a stone and set it up as a marker. Then Jacob said to his relative, gather stones. And they took stones and made a mound. Then ate there by the mound. Laban named the mound Jigasahadutha, but Jacob named it Gali. Then Laban said, this mound is a witness between you and me today. Therefore, the place was called Galid and also Mizpah. For he said, may the Lord watch between you and me. When we're out of each other's sight, if you mistreat my daughters or take other wives, though no one is with us, understand God will be a witness between you and me. Laban also said to Jacob, look at this mound and the marker I've set up between you and me. This mound is a witness and the marker is a witness. I will not pass beyond this mound to you. You will not pass beyond this mound to me to do me harm. The God of Abraham, the gods of Nahor, the gods of their father will judge between us. And Jacob swore by the fear of his father, Isaac. Then Jacob offered a sacrifice on the mountain and invited his relatives to eat a meal. 
So they ate a meal and spent the night on the mountain. Laban got up early in the morning, kissed his grandchildren and daughters and blessed them. Then Laban left to return home. So just a few things I want to mention here, right? The first thing is notice that once Laban suggested of making the covenant, Jacob took over on how the covenant was going to be set up. Remember, whenever Laban is in charge of a covenant, it don't go well. You see what I'm saying? Plus, God has said, don't say anything good or bad. So Laban had already been warned. He knew that something was going to happen to him. Should he allow that avoidant attachment style to kick in? Like if he didn't control it some kind of way, he knew that something was going to happen because God already had warned him, right? So Jacob took over that and set up the covenant, right? And then what tripped me out, the second part of it is when Jacob also set up the food and invited them to eat. He didn't allow <laughs> Laban to be talking about, I'm going to have a party with you right here. Mm -mm, mm -mm, mm -mm. He didn't do any of that. He set that food up himself, right? And then Laban and his people uh, stayed the night. They, they ate the meal and spent the night on the mountain. The next morning he got up and left. It wasn't no Jacob going psych. None of that happened. <laughs> you see what I'm saying? And this situation reminds me of Abraham and Lot. Sometimes you just got to, when it comes to relatives, and just people in general who toxic, you've got to do what they do as far as setting up a covenant. Like neither one of us are going to pass over this line. You got to put distance, no matter how much you love an individual at the end of the day, sometimes you got to sing like Teddy Pendergrass. I think I better let it go. Looks like another love TKO. So sometimes you got to do like, it got to be a TKO and you got to let it go. You got to let them go. Right. And that's what happened. Like I said, Abraham and Lot had to separate is no different with Jacob and Laban. And so the thing about it too that's tripped out is that uh, Laban ended up trying, Jacob tried to leave before, but Laban was able to uh, convince him, no, stay for me. What do you want? I can give you this and that and the other. And Jacob saying, no, you don't have to give me anything. This is what I want for my wages. And that's when Jacob made the agreement uh, Laban went on to make the agreement because he figured that those flocks weren't going to turn out the way that uh, Jacob was hoping they were going to turn out. But see, he didn't know that God's hand was on it. That's why he went on. No, no, I'm just going to make an agreement to say you can have this, uh, these pieces over here and everything going to be good. Oh, OK, you can have it. He thought that there was no way it's going to be a lot of speckled uh, cattle. He didn't think it was going to be dark sheep. But guess what? The Lord took over that. Right. And he blessed that situation. I want to remind you that you are blessed. You don't have to go back to a Hoover cycle. I'm going to do part three of this message on Monday. You are enough. Reclaim your power, soul, and identity, and then reclaim the power, soul, and identity of your calling. Grab your keys to the kingdom and get your inheritance. Again, I am Katina Horton, the love and freedom, toxic relationship recovery coach. I love you, ladies. God bless men and until next time, be blessed.
So oh. 